Hey, welcome back to the Christopher Governor. We're live on Facebook with um, Legal AF Midweek Bombshells. Yes, yeah, some, some great news. There's Lawrence Tribe, Harvard Law Professor, just said that Merrick Garland has no choice but to indict. <laughs> nice. Nice. <sighs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so like restricting ability to I have to contest a uh, disagree I disagree with decision okay all right there we go. welcome to the midweek edition of legal AF with your co-anchors Michael Popak and Karen Friedman Agnifilo today we're going to cover the stories that are most critical for you to know at midweek at the intersection of law and politics. We're going to start with a critical update of the Mar-a-Lago top secret classified national security documents that were obtained by the FBI in executing their search warrant. Posting this on Instagram. Right. And I should also um, post it on uh... <clears throat> And where we are with the special master, Judge Deary, handpicked by Donald Trump, who had a status conference in Brooklyn, New York yesterday, attended by both sides the Department of Justice and the Trump lawyers, and also an update on where we are with the 11th Circuit and the Department of Justice's uh, motion for stay to have the appellate court do what Judge Cannon, the trial judge, would not do, which is to stay aspects of her order related to national security. Then, in our, this all-Trump horror show edition of Legal AF, we're going to talk about a, um, yeah, I got a diamond uh, now. announcement that's going to be coming later this morning. We're, we're recording earlier today. Later this morning from badge. Letitia James, the New York Attorney General, who has a special announcement at 1030 this morning concerning her three-year-old investigation into the Trump family concerning loan fraud, tax evasion, and, um, uh, and other other.
Central, Maricopa, Young Dems. Arizona Politics. Let's see. Uh, Young Dems, how about that? I don't know what HC is, what mm, Young Democrats of Pittman, what the hell is that? Young Democrats, South Carolina, Denton County, wherever that is, Washington. Mm, young Democrats. Uh, okay, good enough. Eight people, whatever. Fuck it. Get out of there. Just, uh, post. It is tonight. Look at that. Haha. <laughs> Good. Frauds related to the operation of their business, and Karen and I are going to do a healthy bit of season speculation as to what that announcement is going. We're going to talk about uh, Trump's former accounting firm, Mazars, who, in a settlement it reached with the Congressional Oversight Committee, not the Jan. Six Committee but the Oversight Committee started to turn over the first tranche of financial documents related to Trump and the Trump Organization to the Oversight Committee. And when our listeners and followers hear the categories of documents that are going to be turned over, which will then become public record, um, I think it's going to make people's hair stand on end. And again, a good day for democracy. And then we're going to end today's podcast talking about a new law in the state of New York related to adult victims of sexual crimes uh, and their ability to bring new civil suits within the next year. And a case being brought by E. Jean Carroll, the former writer, journalist for Elle magazine, represented by friend of the show, Robbie Kaplan, who's already been on record this week as saying that as soon as she can file yes. on the 23rd or 24th of, no of November, yes. a new case against Donald Trump related to rape, She's filing that civil case, and we'll talk more about that. Karen, how are you? I'm Special Master, a Eastern District of New York federal judge, Judge Raymond Deary, who holds a status conference, brings all the lawyers up from Florida, or wherever they reside, um, uh, to his chambers, or his courtroom in Brooklyn yesterday. And let's just say that Trump uh, lawyers are getting a lot of headwind from Judge Deary about their position that maybe... The documents are declassified, and this is much to do about nothing. This is just a, a document storage case that's been criminalized by the Department of Justice. How did that go over with Judge Deary in the courtroom? 
The, the quote that everybody is reporting on is he said, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You know, because what he's saying is Trump is saying, look, he may, we may have declassified some of these documents. And so therefore we don't, don't turn them over because they could be subject to attorney client or executive privilege, but yet they won't swear to it in court. They won't put it in writing. They just go on TV and say these things. And so, and, and so on the one hand, uh, this judge wants to do exactly what the DOJ is appealing in the 11th Circuit, which is, okay, let's just start with the first 100 documents that you're looking at and let's hand them over. And it, it, he's signaling that that's how he wants to, to do this pretty clearly. And, and it makes no sense. But Trump says, no, no, hold on. Um, we can't take DOJ's word for it. And and they have to prove that, that it, they are still classified, right? And he's saying, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Interestingly, the judge did say that it's going to be Trump's burden to prove that he or establish that they are um, declassified because it's a civil case, right? And he's making this argument. If it was criminal, it, would, it wouldn't be his burden. So it was, I, I think he's going to very quickly um, say to the DOJ, okay, here's your 100 documents. But what I found really strange about it is that normally special masters, and, and I don't know your experience, but, but my experience is special masters are usually a lawyer in private practice or a retired judge, and they report to the, the judge overseeing the case, right? They, they will do the review, but then they will say, judge, this is my recommendation, and this is where we are. This is a very strange process because he's not retired. He's a sitting judge on senior status. He has these meetings in his courtroom wearing his robe. I mean, it's like an ancillary court proceeding. So he's a, is he a special master or is he a federal judge? So if he says, for example, I, I'm going to take these documents and just start with the first hundred classified and hand them over, does that control? Or does he have to go back to, because he's a federal judge sitting, ruling on a case? Or does he have to make a recommendation to Judge Cannon, who then will make a decision? Or because the 11th Circuit now has um, has a pending request from the Department of Justice, do they control? So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on the process and the procedure of who's going to make these decisions. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a very good set of observations, and I I think the Trump Trump lawyers were too smart by half when they coalesced around Ray Deary. I think they thought they had to have a federal, a former federal or current federal judge as part of their list for the special master because they knew the Department of Justice was going to have like a really austere panel of federal former federal judges that they were competing with, and so they. They had to pick the one I would have thought they would see. They can't pick a Trumper because all the Trumpers are like 40 years old or younger and they're all sitting as, as judges. So none of them are already retired or close to it. So that was out. So then they had to go back to the, you know, the Republican picks from like Reagan. I think this guy was Reagan uh, or George W. or George Bush and uh, hope for the best. And they picked Ray Deary because, you know, he had once got burned by the FBI in the Carter Page um search warrant issues when he was on the FISA court. However, what they miscalculated from the first hearings, uh, my review of the first hearing, is that Ray Deary was going to be Ray Deary. 
who has always been known as a no-nonsense gentleman, gentleman judge, much cut out of the same cloth as Jack Weinstein. Karen, if you have practiced in front of Jack Weinstein in the Eastern District, also in the Eastern District, a couple of mavericks who practice law and, and practice being a judge the old-fashioned way. And, um, you know, as an example, when the lawyers for Trump were jumping up and down about, we got to slow down this process. It's going too fast. And his response was, we're going to do this with what I call responsible dispatch. I mean, that's a great turn of a phrase. And that means back off. I think the timeline is fine. I'm running things here. To your question of who's running things here, I think that the special master is similar to a magistrate judge underneath a the trial judge, that she hasn't completely abdicated her responsibility to be the judge on the matter with jurisdiction, although there's been a fight over jurisdiction, and that if the Trump lawyers don't like Judge Deary's special master work, there's going to be an opportunity for them to file some sort of objection, some sort of objection to his report and recommendation or whatever comes out of his special master work and fight it out back with Judge Cannon. But I think Judge Cannon's a little bit of a pickle because it's really hard for a lawyer, a judge who's been, uh, you know, a lawyer for 12 minutes and a judge for five minutes to say that Judge Deary, who's, you know, one of the lions of the bench, did something wrong. And so I think she's in a she's in a in a hard place by also picking Judge Deary. But I think ultimately Cannon makes the final ruling. The special masters makes his recommendations or her recommendations, much like a magistrate judge. And then we're going to have to see. We're going to talk about the Eleventh Circuit. What I found interesting in the courtroom is this box or this. Uh, 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 painting themselves into a corner that uh, helped by Judge Deary that Trump's lawyers are apparently embarked on. And I mean, and I mean the following. They've acknowledged in the courtroom and in their papers to Judge Deary that that their client, Donald Trump, is likely to be indicted or could be indicted. And they've said, Judge, we can't reveal now what's classified and not classified. That's for our defense. And they are basically saying, I think, that he has a Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. And if the affidavit or the sworn testimony would have to come from Donald Trump, then I think they're loath to have their client, who is staring down the barrel of a federal criminal uh, prosecution, uh, putting anything in writing and any kind of statement for fear of waiving his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. And the judge is like, well, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Which is it? I know you say he has the power to declassify, but has he? I know you say he has the power to say certain things are personal to him, but, but has he really? You can't have your cake and eat it too. I, I, I think the way he set this up saying the government has made their prima facie case, the burden is on you, Trump lawyers, to come forward with some evidence that shifts the burden back to the government. Otherwise, it's, it's the end of the road on that particular issue. And let me get to work in reviewing the documents that I have to get to work in reviewing, these at least these top 100 documents. They didn't get into, in the status conference, the, the intricacies, the fine points of what's up at the 11th Circuit, which is, can classified documents, mark classified documents, ever be personal records? I'm sure the answer to that is no. Can classified documents ever be covered by executive privilege? Who owns the classified documents? Is it the departments that generated them, which is what the statute says, or is it somehow the president who's the recipient of them? These are not the only copies of these things. 
everybody seems to forget these are not like the only copies of these top secret documents it is a copy somebody else like the department that generated them has the has other copies of these things also under lock and key if they're top secret and so the question is ownership who owns these things and the power of the president i also find it remarkable both at the 11th circuit and in judge Deary's courtroom the president trump former president trump is relying on a case involving the national archive and bill clinton because when you read that case do you know that case karen no this is the one where bill clinton apparently throughout his presidency for his own personal use recorded into a tape recorder um his thoughts his hopes and dreams and thoughts and prayers because he was going to use it for his memoir when he left office well somewhere along the way people discovered this and the media discovered that he was recording these things and they pushed for them to be declared presidential records and released to the public and there was a battle over it and the national archive took the position that these were personal to bill clinton they were never intended to be presidential records these were his personal musings he literally kept in a sock drawer in the white house that they were never intended to be presidential records and therefore they weren't and that's how the court came down they're relying on the sock drawer recordings of bill clinton to say yeah same thing here um uh, trump wanted to take all these top secret documents as his personal records and the clinton precedent should apply uh, if that's what they're relying on i think that's pretty weak tea and even the 11th circuit now let's turn to the 11th circuit and i want to hear your view we don't know the panel yet we don't know which three judges and probably two trump appointees are going to be listening to this motion for stay let's talk about what you what you took out of the um papers filed by trump and the department of justice to the 11th circuit so the 11th circuit is going as you say the 11th circuit is largely republican and they are going to the, the chances of them getting at least a trump appointee or a republican um panel is great since the majority of them are Republican and the way it works when you appeal in the 11th circuit or anywhere is you you don't get you, you get a random three judge um, panel that will then listen to your appeal and and see how it goes and so I I'm actually quite confused about and I would love to hear your thoughts on this on how that's going to work because the Department of Justice is both working with the special master and appealing to the 11th circuit at the same time right they say you know we're just asking for a very modest request i think is how they put it you know a very very small favor we're not asking for the whole kit and caboodle and we're just saying can you just give us those hundred documents and lift this injunction you know so that we can continue our investigation you know national secrets and national security and everything is implicated and we need to see what's in where what was in those missing files and we need to basically do a damage control um, assessment on whether it's the, the um, assets, foreign assets or nuclear secrets, or I don't know, they're saying it's so, so, so classified and secret that even this this um, attorney trustee who has top secret plans, they're saying that's not even high enough for you to get a copy of these records. So they're, they're signaling that these are the absolute most super secret codes and, and information that our nation has has and so therefore it's so serious you cannot let you cannot um 
put any limitation on our ability to go forward and conduct an investigation. And what they said was, um, what the Department of Justice said was, saying that these things are, 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 you can proceed with the national security assessment, Judge Cannon, but not a criminal investigation. You clearly don't understand how we do our work. You don't realize that they are totally linked together. And this is one investigation. This is not separate. And, and, and so therefore having this threat of, of potential contempt of court hanging over us is, is a democracy. Like the sword of Damocles, you know, hanging over us, right? Damoclean, or however you would use whatever the, however you would pronounce the word that yeah. that they um, that they you wrote in their brief, um, you know that that's that that it's going to chill the investigation and chill anyone from doing the work necessary because for fear of um, potential liability, and so um, it, it really. You really have to allow us to proceed on on these grounds, and um, but they didn't file a full appeal, right? This was just a there. This was just sort of a. They still could, in other words, appeal Judge Cannon's entire ruling when they when they um, submit their fulsome appeal. But this was just a kind of emergency request to um, appeal this portion of the ruling so that they can continue on with their investigation. And my question to you, Popak, is let's say the 11th Circuit, who who I think um, ruled on on Saturday night, right? I mean, have you ever have you ever seen a judge? You know, have you ever seen courts rule on, on weekends? And wasn't there a ruling on Labor Day recently in this case? Like these judges, every the federal courts here are treating this as highly, you know, like, like no other case I've ever seen. But my question to you is, let's say the 11th Circuit says, sure, you can go ahead and, and use, continue on, you know, carry on Department of Justice. Won't Trump just run to the Supreme Court and won't this just go to the shadow docket there? In other words, I, I just don't see anything happening quickly. Do you? Um, it, it, you know, it's hard. I, I think right. first, let me let me answer the question by by setting up a predicate. I think the that the Department of Justice's arguments, while I completely agree with them, um, do have a bit of um, incongruity. It has, they have a couple of positions that are not completely lined up. I'll give you what I'm talking about. They talk about these are very highly confidential, top secret documents. At least the top, at least a hundred of the eleven thousand that are the first cut for for the um, special master to review. Um, but it, and that, as, as you said, um, Julie Epstein, the lawyer for the 11, Department of 000? Justice, came out what? and said, you know, 11, even 000? even James Trusty, the lawyer for Trump, Trump who has a top security clearance from another case, his his clearance may not be high enough, and others in his law firm. Who need to look at them uh, may may don't have security clearance at all. However, at the same point, um, they have taken the position that they and that they have, and they've taken the position, of course, that they need to continue to investigate. That's what the appeal or the stay motion to the Eleventh Circuit is to continue to investigate using those documents. That they're not hamstrung and gagged. They can continue to talk to witnesses. They can continue to see where the evidence takes them as any normal investigation would be and not be running in place uh, for this time period until November when, when the uh, special master is done with his particular review. Um, but the other problem is 
they're okay with the delay. They're okay with Trump's lawyers ultimately seeing these documents with top security clearance. Um, certain of their positions are not completely consistent with, oh my God, these are nuclear secrets and nuclear codes, but we're going to let Jim Trusty take a look at them in the review process. They are kind of bending themselves into a pretzel in order to expedite the process so that they're not further delayed in doing things I don't think they would normally do. Like, they're like, okay, uh, special master, we're gonna put all these on an electronic platform um, and we have five vendors ready and whatever lawyers on the other side are ready to have top secret clearance, they can review it. Which also put the Trump lawyers in a weird position because on one hand they're saying that maybe these things were declassified, on the other hand they're saying we have to have top secret clearance to review them. Well, which is it? Are they declassified, or do you have to? Or do you have to have top secret clearance? The Eleventh Circuit is going to review Judge Cannon's original decision to have everything go over to the special master, and what the ruling could be: we're okay with what Judge Cannon did. Thank you very much. We're done here for now. And then the, the, the Justice Department, I assume, will just continue with the process and not take an appeal. Or they could say, no, Judge Cannon, you were wrong on the application of executive privilege. We think the special master can do the top-level review, but shouldn't be also deciding whether executive privilege applies, because that, that's not something for, for a special master to do, and certainly not something that applies here. So there's going to be guidance out of the 11th Circuit. If Trump doesn't like the result of the 11th Circuit, I agree with you, he'll try to take an appeal to the Supreme Court. I think Clarence Thomas is the duty judge over the 11th Circuit, which bodes well for the Trump group. And then Clarence Thomas is going to have to decide whether he's going to shadow docket this and make his, going to make his own decision as the duty judge. He's going to refer it over to the, to the court. And then the court's going to have to decide if they have the numbers to just do it without full briefing. I think the days of the shadow docket when it comes to Trump are sort of dying. I think this... This Supreme Court, who's worried about its legitimacy, who, who, and I know they're worried about their legitimacy because they keep saying out loud that they're not worried about their legitimacy, um, like Roberts recently. They are worried about it. So to do like another secret, low briefing, no yeah, briefing, no oral argument, forward. not during the regular term uh, related to Trump, I think is a problem for them. And I think even the Trumpers on the panel um, on the bench know that. So, um, to answer your long-winded way to answer your question, I think we're going to get a ruling from the 11th Circuit relatively soon on briefing. Um, I think it's going to be in September that we're going to get a ruling maybe the beginning of October. In the meantime, it's full steam ahead with uh, Magist uh, Special Master Deary, who said he's going to get his work done by uh, November, if not sooner. He's going to get his 100 reviewed very, very quickly, likely in October. And... And, and we're going to know the results of a lot of that, although the results of the special master's work it, the, is decided by Judge Cannon when she's going to release that. And my gut is that she's already kicked the ball down the field until after the midterms, much like our chief judge in Fulton County, Georgia, for Fawny Willis, who has said point blank, I am not releasing the results of this special grand jury until after the midterms, because I don't want an October or November surprise. I think Cannon's going to do the same thing. Even if she gets this review, I'm not sure she releases it to the public. She may allow the DOJ to move forward with the 100, but she, I don't think she's going to uh, she's going to release the results until after the midterms. But so listen, we got a lot to talk about, but not today <laughs> on this. But
But I feel we have entered the world of bizarro absurdity because we have, so let's play this out. Let's talk about, for example, empty files that are marked classified. They're empty. All it is is a file folder marked classified. How is that attorney, client, executive, that's nothing. It's a nothing, right? right? It's not a document. It's something that the Department of Justice needs to figure out what is it? Where was it? What was in it? What happened to what was in it? How is that even part of these hundred documents that we're trying to decide? Is it attorney client? Is it executive privilege? Did I declassify it? I don't even know why we care if you declassified it since that's not an element of the crime. Yet here we are arguing about whether or not he declassified it. It's so stupid. And I don't understand why a judge is allowing them to co-opt this conversation to say, um, it's your burden to tell me whether or not you declassified. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Don't totally tell me if it's declassified, right? I, so I, feel I, like I totally agree with you. I was just going to say, the one thing Trump is really good at with his insane lawyers is he controls the con- conversation. He has led us all into this world of, you know, and the judge and Cannon and everybody else about focusing on what he wants to focus on. And, you know, I was looking up James Trusty because, you know, I, I've heard you and others say he's a real lawyer, you know, as opposed to like Alina Haba and all those other people. And Popak, does your, you're, you're a real lawyer. You have a law firm, you practice law. <laughs> does your law firm have a logo? In other words, like a tagline logo? Because I've never seen that before. When I looked him up, do you know what, you want to know what his tag, his law firm, if for a law, his tagline is? No. It's Hands on. This is part of his letterhead. Okay, yeah. you look up the letterhead. I know that. I know this law firm, by the way. But go so ahead. their their tagline logo is "Hands on counsel, gloves off litigation." I mean. Yeah, I, I've seen that. Uh, we had one when I was at my old firm in Miami. Ours was uh, uh, local knowledge, global perspective, something. So like it that. wasn't so, gloves off litigation. I mean, it wasn't, come on. You, we're going to take you to court. It, you know, it's yeah. I, you know, it's interesting that firm. Well, I don't want to talk about that firm. I know the firm. I know. I know the lead lawyer on the firm. He doesn't practice in that area. He practices in a whole other area of the law, having nothing to do with. Uh, insurrectionists and presidents but um yeah i mean all these you know alina hava has the same thing on her website if you go on her website it's like patriot litigator you know uh idiot would have been the third thing i would have put up there we'll talk about alina hava when we turn to the e Jean carroll case but you know look you're you're right he 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 uses these lawyers who will say anything and do anything. And then when he gets the luck of the draw and gets a Judge Cannon, who he can lead around by the nose because she's not experienced, because, you know, she doesn't have what Judge Deary has, which is 30 years of experience on a federal bench making really hard decisions at a very sophisticated level. She doesn't have that. I'm sorry. I was once a 12th year lawyer. So were you, Karen. I know what I knew as a 12th year lawyer, and I know what I know as a 31 year lawyer, and they are completely different. And she was not she was barely, I would say she wasn't qualified. She was barely qualified to take the bench. She never had served as a judge. Most federal judges, frankly, come out of the state court system, at least serving as 
magistrate judges or as um, appellate judges or something. Usually in Florida, that's the feeder stream into the federal court system is coming out of the state court system. And I've seen and I know a number of my friends have become federal judges through that through that process. So listen, we're going to rather than speculate more, let's 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 watch the 11th Circuit and report on it. Let's watch the next move by Judge Deary and the next filing by the Trump team. And um, and there we are. So why don't we move, if you don't mind, Karen, let's move on to the uh, the, the hot off the presses announcement by the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, at uh, about an hour or so uh, after we're recording this. She's already announced the press conference so that the media would be ready and lets you and I, uh, I don't want to call it speculation. I think we got a pretty good idea that her special announcement is not going to be that after a three-year investigation into Donald Trump and his family, into their business dealings, into civil fraud related to loan fraud, loan inflation, tax fraud, that she's walking away from it and deciding in a year when she's up for election in November that she's not she's not going to file the lawsuit uh, seeking penalties against the Trump family. Do, do you think that's the announcement, Karen? I do think that's likely the the announcement, yeah. Popak. Yeah. What's the well? I said it the other way. So, what what do you think she announced when she stands at that podium at ten thirty? What do you think Tish James's announcement's going to be? So, I think the, so. The way I've always looked at this investigation is is what is when you when you're looking at what's the value of real estate and the answer always is it depends who's asking right and so for donald trump when it comes to paying taxes everyone wants your real estate value to be the lowest possible so you you undervalue it because then your taxes are lower but if you're going to take out a mortgage and you want to take out as much money as you can from it or you're going to sell it then the appraisal will be to make it be as high as possible and and that's something that is is potentially you know that's that's something that happens anyone who's involved in any kind of real estate but it looks like that uh tish james has finally got enough evidence to be able to bring a suit against him that he was doing it fraudulently and so i think that is what her announcement's going to be it's going to be um that she's gonna big uh, do a big sweeping um uh um, lawsuit against uh, Trump. Trump. I know you. I know you wanted to say indictment. I know. I know. It's. I, I'm still. You know. I'm still learning to uh, to speak a different language. Um, uh, anyway. So. Um, so. You know. She. I was in court once, by the way, recently in, in federal court, and I was calling witnesses to the stand, and I kept saying, you know, the people call to the stand, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, you know, and my husband, who came with me, because I'd never been to federal court before, and he's a mm. federal practitioner, I'm like, can you just sit in the audience and, you know, yeah. be my, just be my security blanket. He was texting me, you know, sweetheart, remember, you you represent the plaintiff, <laughs> not the people. And I was like, oh, my God, Judge, I'm so sorry. Anyway, um, you just get so used to, to yeah. saying something. That's, a cute, that's uh, a cute story, by the way, all the way around. <laughs> it's a true story. <laughs> um, anyway, so um, so I think that's what's going to happen is she's going to announce this lawsuit. You know, look, Michael Cohen, who is a, is often um, on Midas Touch and on the Midas Media Network, you know, he um, 
he has basically, you know, provided evidence to everybody that that these he's made that there have been false statements made by the by Trump and the Trump organization. And I think that they finally have, you know, I think they finally are going to have what it takes. What, what the other thing I will say is this is yet the this is the final nail in the coffin on the criminal case, because if as everyone knows, um, Alvin Bragg or Cy Vance and then Alvin Bragg was investigating Trump and the Trump organization for this very thing. If this turns out to be the lawsuit, this was the very thing that they were doing. And it was a joint investigation, right? It was with Tish James, the New York attorney general who has civil jurisdiction, along with the local Manhattan DA who has criminal jurisdiction. They joined forces because there's a civil aspect to this and a criminal aspect of it. And in, in life, you know, whenever there's a, 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 a prosecution pending or I'm sorry an investigation criminal investigation pending and a civil investigation pending it, the criminal always goes first because that's the more serious and the fact that and this and they were working together and it was joint and so the fact that this basically means that Alvin Bragg has given her permission to file her civil suit, I think is the final, and, and I know he didn't have to give permission, but since they're working together, I'm sure he did, because uh, I don't think she would do this without his at least um, consent and knowledge and, you know, blessing. And so I think this this signals, at least to me, that that case. I, I know. I know. I'm last at the table on this because everybody else thinks the criminal case is dead, and I kept hoping. You know, I'm very idealistic, and I kept hoping against hope that you know maybe it's not dead. But I, I finally have come around and, and agree with everybody else that the criminal case is completely dead. And um, and here we go. Yeah. Who, who do you think? Who do you think she's the, the lawsuit's going to be against? Popak. Yeah. So um, and then I'll go back to a couple of things that you that you commented on. I think it's I think there's speculation in the media is it's definitely, of course, Donald Trump, um, you know, the Trump organization again with the civil case. And I want to talk about what the civil case means or could mean to Trump's financial empire. In Trump a moment. Organization. And uh, really? at least one child, because everybody likes to, you know, everybody in the Trump world likes to talk about him being some sort of mastermind business owner of, of some sort of major company. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's nothing more than a fan, what we call in New York a family office where all the executives have Trump's face and last name. And in this case, the question is, which of the children signed the most loan documents oh. <laughs> and the most forms with banks and lenders? Um, which one was dumb enough to put their John Hancock or Donald Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump, or Ivanka Trump. So let's do it by process of elimination. I don't think Ivanka Trump was signing loan documents. I don't think. I think she's the smarter of the three. If you listen to Michael Cohen, he he having a lot of experience agrees with that. I think you're left with Eric or Don Jr. I just get the sense since Eric was brought in first to do the interview uh, with Tish James a year ago and took the fifth like 500 times. You forget that. I think Eric, who is sort of the, competes with uh, Don Jr. to be the Fredo of the crime family there, um, that he signed the most documents, had the most interaction with lenders. Um, it's always the quiet one, right? It's always the quiet one that commits the crime or the civil, the civil fraud. I think it's gonna be Eric, maybe Don Jr. I don't think it's gonna be Ivanka. In terms of the civil, 
penalties here. People that think, oh, and I, I'm with you. I, I would have liked for there to have been a criminal prosecution related to these same There's facts, gonna be a trial. not just a civil a civil suit being filed. But let's not let's not undermine and poo-poo um, the power of this suit trial. and the impact of it blowing a hole in the battleship that is Donald Trump's financial empire. And I'll tell you why. If if she is successful in front of a jury in New York, <laughs> this is going to be loaded. A jury in New York in getting a um, a judgment against Donald Trump and some of these children for fraud. What does that mean? Well, the judge then can. Um, I don't know if it's a jury. Maybe it's a jury. Jury slash judge will award fines. Millions could be millions and millions of dollars of fines. Could be disgorgement, meaning taking money Good from them that fine. was illegally gotten, improperly gotten, and taking it off of them. That could be tens of millions of dollars, uh, and, and to go into some sort of victim victim compensation fund. It could be limitations. This would be the judge's role on the Trump the Trump's ability to be the head of any corporation in the state of new york and they like being in new york and they like having those corporations or operating a business in the state of new york which will then just hasten his move down to florida and lastly it has an impact on his all of his real estate and and uh relationships with his banks because i know i i know for a fact that within every loan document that trump has signed there is a provision that says he has to disclose if if there is a claim of fraud against him or his organization, and that will give the lender, whether it be Deutsche Bank or any of the or Capital One or any of these other public lenders who are public about having a relationship with Donald Trump, to be able to call the loan immediately and or sometimes personal liability, what's called recourse loan, against Donald Trump. So for people to think this is nothing because it's civil, it could have a tremendous impact on his and, and crater his financial empire because of the domino cascading effect of a civil fraud uh, judgment against him and what it means in, their, in the ability of the lenders to collect their money quickly. Do you think it's possible that the, um, that the, the suit is more than one kid, maybe several of the kids, in hopes that <laughs> at least one flips or... I mean, maybe, maybe. I mean, I, look, she, she spent three years investigating this. You were right. It was the tip from Michael Cohen, the testimony of Michael Cohen at Congress um, that led that led to this. But, it, it, you know, she didn't rubber stamp anything. She spent three full years. You know, it's like Alvin Bragg and Tish James's office spent two and a half years on the Bannon build the wall uh, state indictment. Um, you know, they're not rubber stamping anything. So. Could she have found evidence enough to bring more than one charge against Trump kids? Maybe. Certainly there's definitely going to be one Trump kid. You know, and then we'll have to see. And, you know, we'll do an update to this podcast um, off of the 1030 announcement because within an hour or so we're going to know exactly who is indicted. And then we'll pick it up with the weekend edition with Ben Masalis and me. But. That's that's where we are. Anything else to add on the on that before we move on to our next uh, no. our next segment? All right. So let's see if we're right. To, yeah, we'll see if we're. Yeah, I know. Can you imagine if she gets up to the podium and says, "You know what? I'm giving him a pass. I'm giving him a pass." This James is not giving Donald Trump a pass in an election in an election year. She's up for re-election in November. There is no way she's going. Sorry. 
<laughs> My bad. <laughs> I don't have enough evidence. Uh, let's move to another devastating event in Trump world against their financial empire, which, which has gotten very little coverage, is that there is another committee in Congress, the Oversight Committee, not the Jan 6 Committee, that is looking at two aspects related to Donald Trump. <laughs> They're looking at the violation of the Presidential Records Act and the National Archive issues uh, at Mar-a-Lago. And they're also looking at his financial um, misrepresentations and whether he was compromised because of his refusal to release his tax returns and other things because he didn't reveal um, things related to um, money that he made while he was the president that he shouldn't have made uh, because of owning the Trump Hotel, the old post office in Washington, because of foreign dealings that his organization had, business dealings with foreign uh, countries who were trying to curry favor with the then sitting president. And Mazers, which was an auditing and accounting firm for 15 years for Donald Trump, already six months ago is on record to the New York state system as declaring that nothing in their financial reporting on behalf of Donald Trump can be relied upon. It's un completely unreliable, which is a remarkable thing for an accounting or an auditing firm to say everything that we did for the last 15 years is basically untrustworthy and you can't count on it. That led the Oversight Committee, which is led by um, a Carol Maloney out of a, a, a Congresswoman Maloney out of a, a district in New York that covers Manhattan. Who, who will not be back after the November election because she lost the primary to a fellow Democrat, Jerry Nadler, who heads the Judiciary Committee. He's now going to be the one that's going to win that precinct, that, that district in, in, uh, in New York. But until she's done, she's chairing this oversight committee. And they just got the first tranche of documents from Mazers directly in which they're going to turn over, listen to this, documents that indicate that between 2014 and 2018 that Donald Trump made false um, false representations about his assets, incomes, and liabilities. So in other words, they're saying to Mazars, don't give us everything. Just give us the documents that indicate that the President of the United States committed fraud related to his assets, income, and liabilities. And Mazars didn't say, we don't have any of those documents. They don't exist. They said, okay, we'll turn those over. That's a remarkable admission by the auditor for Donald Trump that those documents exist. They're also turning over, have turned over now this week to the Oversight Committee, all documents related to the old post office deal, which became the Trump Hotel, which he's now selling. And the question there is whether he violated the emoluments clause of the U.S. Constitution because he made money off of being the president of the United States. We know the answer to that, but we're going to see what, what, what it says in the Mazars documents about that. And lastly, another breathtaking, heart-stopping um, set of documents that Mazars is turning over it are all documents concerning from the period 2017 to 2018 about Trump and the Trump organization's business dealings while he was president with foreign countries, meaning the grift. He made money, you know, whether it was uh, Kushner or the kids or a deal that was signed in India or a deal that was signed in Dubai or Saudi Arabia or all these other countries that wanted to curry favor with Donald Trump and signed on the dotted line for hundreds, if not billions of dollars. 
wasn't that an improper violation of the emoluments clause and other federal law related to that? And Mazars is turning over those documents. Now, Donald Trump has been very quiet about all this. He's not. You don't even hear him jumping up and down on social media. So the Oversight Committee not only gets them, but they're going to be public documents that the media can use for investigative reporting, that prosecutors can use for, for their prosecutions, that New York, that, that attorney generals around the country can use. So this is a ter- another, you know, knock on wood, you know, point to the flag, terrible day for Donald Trump and his financial empire. Uh-huh. What do you think about Mazur? Turn it all this so over. What do you think the Oversight Committee does next? Wow. This one, this one, as you said, kind of blew my mind a little bit because it's not really covered. And I think it's astounding, the admission that Mazers is, is basically making by saying, you know, on the one hand, Mazers originally, when they cut ties with them, says we can no longer stand by some of the representations that that we made. We can no longer stand by the num- numbers. But this takes it one step further because they reached a settlement with Trump and uh, the Oversight Committee reached a settlement with Trump and um, and Mazers, and that Mazers can exercise their independent judgment in determining which documents are responsive or not. And as you said, it really it's it's anything uh, that indicates that the that there was false, inaccurate, or undisclosed information about his assets, incomes, or liabilities. So there's a lot of overlap with Tish James in a way, right? And uh, and what she and what she's looking at, but this is this is everywhere. This isn't just New York. Um, this is all his properties and all his assets. So I think it'll, it'll be, this is definitely one to watch. We'll see what they do. You know, the oversight committee could hold hearings after they get these documents. They could publish a report. I mean, it's a very interesting to see. Um, there's a big development, I think, and this will be definitely one to watch. So yeah. I, I agree with you. Yeah. And the other thing, just and then we'll leave it, we'll, get, we'll go talk about E.G. Carroll and what she's doing now against Donald Trump under a new law in New York. But the last, the last, um, the last comment on uh, the oversight committee for now is, and to answer a question, I know that will come up in, in our in our feed in our Twitter, is what happens to the oversight committee now controlled by Democrats if in in the, the November elections uh, the Republicans take the House? The answer is that oversight committee will end its work, and <laughs> the Republicans that will take over will not continue the work. So we've got a problem with timing here because it is already almost, as you can tell by the sweater I'm wearing, it's almost October. And so they're running out of time um, to get these documents reviewed. They can't take their sweet time the way the Gen 6 committee is doing, even though, because Gen 6 committee is almost done. They've got one more hearing scheduled for late September, and then they're gonna issue their report in October, and they're gonna be done, you know, by the time um, December rolls around before the new Congress comes in in January. Carol Maloney, this is her last swan song. She's gonna have to hurry up here and get a report, at least an interim report. Published. Or, yeah, or, yeah, or, or yeah. if in November they learn that they're no longer gonna be in power, they have until January yeah. to basically t- dump all these documents out into the yeah. public and let the New York Times or somebody else do, you know. Yeah, they're gonna do that. It's three months. It's three months. But we gotta like gotta move this along here because she's not gonna have a lot more time to get more documents and more things in this in this period. But let's move on to E. Jean Carroll because because um, it's important to our listeners and viewers. It's important to you and me. It's a new law change in New York and this is the first public uh, plaintiff under the new law 
And let me frame it, then I'll turn it over to you. Um, and it touches on a couple of people. Friend of the podcast, Robbie Kaplan, who you and I talked about, about things that she's been involved with. Um, we did a nice interview with her about three or uh, three or four months ago, is the lawyer for E. Jean Carroll. E. Jean Carroll was a writer for Elle magazine. 20 years ago, she claims that when uh, Donald Trump was just playboy, failed businessman Trump, that she had an encounter with him in the dressing room of a department store in New York, of all things, in which he physically assaulted her, sexually assaulted her, and then to add insult to injury or injury to injury when he was president and she came forward with her accusations, her claims against him, he made some very unkind, defamatory statements about her and said, said she A, she's not my type. I mean, typical, disgusting Donald Trump. And B, that didn't happen and she's a liar. Um, so Robbie Kaplan, representing uh, E. Jean Carroll, filed a federal lawsuit in front of Judge Lewis Kaplan in New York in Manhattan, Southern District of New York, claiming defamation, that she was defamed because it really happened to her, that he really did, you know, not to get too graphic, that he did sexually assault her in the dressing room, and that she has DNA evidence related to it in the form of a dress, uh, much like Monica Lewinsky with her huh. now infamous blue dress and Bill Clinton. And um, the fight, which may disturb our listeners and followers who, rem who don't remember this, is that the, the U.S. government, through the Department of Justice, intervened in the case because since Donald Trump gave those statements during a press conference, even about personal matters, they made the decision that, um, that the, proper, um, uh, the proper party was not Donald Trump, but the U.S. government. So it would be E. Jean Carroll versus the U.S. And if that's the case, they're right about that, then they're going to apply sovereign immunity and say that she cannot sue Donald Trump for defamation because she can't sue the federal government for defamation. The reasons for all that we've covered on other podcasts, it has to do with not Donald Trump, but how the Department of Justice sees the future presidents and the protection of sovereign immunity as a right, governmental immunity as a right that, whether we like it or not, that's enjoyed by people that are employed by the federal government. So that issue um, is up on appeal to the Second Circuit, which covers New York, because Judge Lewis Kaplan, the trial judge, rejected the government's position and ruled that the case of E. Jean Carroll versus Donald Trump, not the U.S. government, can, can continue and set a trial date for this for February 2023, Ooh. while we await to see what the Second Circuit's going to nice. do. And they haven't, pardon me, they haven't ruled yet. That's the defamation case. But now we turn to a brand new case that Robbie Kaplan is going to be filing based on a change in New York law signed by our Governor Hochul, which is the Adult Survivors Act, following on the heels of, of then-Governor Cuomo's Child Survivors Act uh, statute. Why don't you talk about uh, what the Adult Survivors Act does? It does something very specific. And then we can talk about the case that E. Jean Carroll is going to file and the impact of the defamation case. Sure. So there's, as everybody knows, there are statutes of limitation in civil cases and criminal cases, which means you have to bring a case within a certain period of time. Uh, and, and in civil sexual assault cases, they are they wanted to extend the statute of limitations because recognizing that over time, people 
might be able to find the strength to come forward whereas they couldn't in the short window of the statute of limitations. So in 2019, they, with um, a Carol Maloney out of a, uh, a Congresswoman Maloney out of a, a district in New York that covers Manhattan, who, who will not be back after the November election because she lost the primary to a fellow Democrat, Jerry Nadler, who heads the Judiciary Committee. He's now going to be the one that's going to win that precinct, that, that district in in, uh, in New York. But until she's done, she's chairing this oversight committee. And they just got the first tranche of documents from Mazers directly, in which they're going to turn over Who's lists Mazers? of documents that indicate that between 2014 and 2018, that Donald Trump made false um false representations about his assets incomes and liabilities but in other words they're saying to Mazers, don't give us everything just give us the documents that indicate that the president of the united states committed fraud related to his assets income and liabilities and Mazers didn't say we don't have any of those documents they don't exist they said okay we'll turn those over that's a remarkable admission by the auditor for donald trump that those documents exist they're also turning over, have turned over now this week to the Oversight Committee, all documents related to the old post office deal, which became the Trump Hotel, which he's now selling. And the question there is whether he violated the emoluments clause of the U.S. Constitution because he made money off of being the president of the United States. We know the answer to that, but we're going to see what, what, what it says in the Mazers documents about that. And lastly, another breathtaking, heart-stopping um, set of documents that Mazers is turning over. It are all documents yeah, concerning from the period 2017 yeah, to 2018 about Trump and the Trump Organization's <laughs> business dealings while he was president some, uh, with foreign countries leading the grift. He made money, you know, whether it was uh, Kushner or the kids or a deal that was signed in India or a deal that was signed in Dubai or Saudi Arabia or all these other countries that wanted to curry favor with Donald Trump and signed on the dotted line for hundreds, if not billions of dollars. Wasn't that an improper violation of the emoluments clause and other federal law related to that? And Mazers is turning over those documents. Now, Donald Trump has been very quiet about all this. He's not, you don't even hear him jumping up and down on social media. So the Oversight Committee not only gets them, but they're going to be public documents that the media can use for investigative reporting, that prosecutors can use for, for their prosecutions, that New York, that, that attorney generals around the country can use. So this is a ter another, you know, knock on wood, you know, point to the flag, terrible day for Donald Trump and his financial empire. What do you think about Mazers turning all this stuff over? What do you think the Oversight Committee does next? Wow. This one, this one, as you said, kind of blew my mind a little bit because it's not really covered. And I think it's astounding, the admission that Mazers is, is basically making by saying, you know, on the one hand, Mazers originally, when they cut ties with him, says we can no longer stand by some of the representations mm -hmm. that, that we made. We can no longer stand by the numbers. But this takes it one step further.